proclaiming the gospel and discipling nations and equipping the church while at the same time caring for the most basic needs of people wherever they find Pierre's dad, who's in the picture there, supervised the translation and publication of the Bible into very clear modern-day Arabic. This is a predominantly, as you might know, Muslim area. The Husseini's family have helped change the Middle East in a lot of ways, but in one of the largest ways is they've helped lead hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. (laughs) This one stunned me. In the aftermath of the third worst explosion the earth has experienced since modern time began to be measured, Horizons is trying to attempt to be the hands and feet in the mouth of Jesus. How do you do that there? We're asking the question, how do we do that here? And so I just want to ask, while they're struggling to do that in ways that they could have never imagined, would you please remember them in prayer? I love working with organizations who have a strong desire to provide um, for earthly needs, but I have an even stronger place in my heart for those who are doing that, both for the physical needs and those that are going to last forever. So I'm going to ask us to pray this morning as we normally do for our brothers and sisters um, who are also meeting today and also lifting up the name of Christ. We're going to mention First Presbyterian as well, but on my heart this morning it's Horizon International. I'd like them to be on yours as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who go to places we just soon not bother, honestly. We don't want to go there. Uh, we're, we're struggling to share Jesus Christ here in the comfort of this incredible community called the Hill Country. I can't imagine what it's like to do that there. The chaos that's there, the, um, the pain that's there, the frustration, the... Um, hopelessness that's there. So would you please, in an extra way, pour out your spirit of grace and mercy on the brothers and sisters and any who are trying to just help at all, but especially those who are not only helping with physical needs, but those who don't know Jesus yet and are far from him. Father, we lift up our our brothers here at the Presbyterian Church who are trying to come alongside us and trying to be light in the darkness in the midst of this worldwide pandemic here. Uh, Thank you for their efforts Uh, to be the mouth and the hands and the feet of Jesus. Please help us together. And and may this community remember, if they remember anything about COVID, they remember your people being light to them in a dark time. And I ask this in Jesus' name and everybody's sin. You may not have noticed this, but everyone that you encounter is facing some type of battle. And you may not see it. Just about everybody that you meet is going through something that may not be obvious, I promise you, on the outside, but they have something inside that they're struggling with. A few years back, I received a phone call from a brother here in Kerrville who was experiencing some explosive struggles in his marriage. And the battle had just become so much that he wanted out, not just out of his marriage, he wanted out of life. And he called to say, thank you for trying to help us, but goodbye. I said, no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. He said, you owe, I said, you owe me 10 minutes, bro. Of all the stuff that we've been through, you owe me 10 minutes. I'll be there in just a second. I was there in seven. And I put him in the car, and we drove off, and I didn't know what in the world I was going to say. I'd been praying all the way there. God, what do you say to someone who's just told you that they're about 
to take their life or they're thinking about it seriously. It's been a while since I had faced that and I just didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't have the words to say. I listened to this person again as we drove through the town of Kerrville. And somewhere along the river, I pulled over and, um, and I said, I probably can't stop you. Even if I called the law right now, they probably couldn't stop you. But I said, I may have to do that still, but I want you to hear this. I need a favor from you. And he said, what? I said, I need for you in the next 10 minutes or less to give me 30 things that you're grateful for, that you're thankful for. I said, that's the only favor that I'm asking of you. He said, I don't want to do that. I said, I know you don't want to do that. That's why I'm asking it of you. I want to hear 30 things that you're thinking. I said, of all that we've been through together, you owe me that. He said, all right, I'm, I'm thankful for my kids. I said, they're not a pack of gum. What's their names? He said, I'm thankful for, for Ladarius. And I'm thankful for Leo. And I'm thankful for Lily. I'm thankful for Lorelai. I said, okay, what else are you thankful for? She said, I don't know. I'm glad at least I have a job now. I said, that's great. And we just went through a list of things. It kind of started getting rolling about number seven or number eight. Thankful for KCC. Thankful for my mom coming to know Christ. Thankful for. And every time he'd slow down, I'd, I'd kind of nudge him with something else that I thought I saw in his life that he ought to be thankful for. And he said, yeah, I'm thankful for that too. It didn't take him but six or seven minutes to get to 30. That's all. And I said, Paul, I said, bro, do you, do you, do you feel like you've earned all that you've just mentioned there? You've earned that, that, that how you've lived so far, you deserve that? He said, oh, no, they're gifts. I said, you're right. And you're going to throw away all those gifts in a moment? And you're going to leave me to clean up the mess that you're about to leave? I said, you're one of the most unselfish people that I know in the world. And you're about to commit one of the most selfish things a human being can do. I said, I want you to know right now, before you go, if you, pull, if you finally pull this off, I forgive you, but I am not going to like you. I won't for a long, long time. Buddy, we can do better. I'm asking a specific favor. Now, I asked for one. I said, I'm asking for another. Would you just give God 24 hours and me as your friend 24 hours to help you just get through this one day? And if you still want to do that, you know what? I'm still going to have to probably call the law, but you could probably handle that yourself if you really want out of this place. I said, I'm asking for 24 hours. He said, okay. Well, he stayed with us. And as you know, Paul Mosley is still with us. More on that in just a minute. What I had to give my brother that day seemed like a squirt gun on a Beirut fire after the third worst blast to hit the earth that day. I mean, what are words to a man who's about to walk off the ledge of life into the abyss of death? Let me tell you what words are to a man like that. Their life. Their life. Grace-filled words have that kind of power. 
I've witnessed it my whole life. I can't probably testify to much of anything, but I can testify to this, that grace-filled God words change people's lives. They do. So I have no idea what God can see into your heart and life that right now I can't see, but I do know this. Every single one of you in this room is struggling with something inside. I know this to be a fact. And we can't see some of it. Some of us can see maybe more than you think we can, but we can't see some of it. So I'm here today to try as best as I can to try to encourage you with words. Not just my words, I hope, but words that I've been praying all this week that the Spirit would would fill up and, and use and mold and shape so that some way, somehow, they could speak into someone's heart here today and convince you that your words have that kind of power because of the grace and the love that Christ has poured into your heart to pour into your words. I want to say it again. I said it last week. Enough already. (laughs) Enough already. Enough already with thinking that you don't have influence in this world. Enough already with thinking you can't be a leader. (laughs) Enough already thinking that you can't be light into somebody's darkness. Enough already thinking that you can't be hope into someone's battle. Enough already. Because everyone in this room has a battle that's going on, whether you see it or not, and your words of encouragement can make a difference. As we talked last week, it's impossible to open up social media today or turn on the television and not be discouraged. It's depressing, it's disillusioning, it's disheartening. And it's so polarizing, the words that are coming out of these devices and these tubes and these screens... People are so critical with their words. People are so undeniably hateful and cruel with their words. And some of you guys are turning into them, tuning into them for hours upon hours. It's almost like this is a drug. Enough already. Because the time is now for the Lord's church to believe that we can make a difference in this world because our words can bring hope. And our words can bring encouragement to people. Because no one needs friends like Job. You remember the guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar? I didn't either. (laughs) I just knew that he had some friends that really weren't much help to him. Until I looked back into the book of Job, and there they were, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. For those of you who are new to Christianity... And maybe you've heard the name Job before, but you don't know much about what, what the big deal is about this guy, Job. He was an incredible guy. I mean, he, he, it would have been hard to look over the globe and find someone that was as good to people and as good to God as this man was. You would have been thrilled to have him as a neighbor. You would have been thrilled to have him on your team at work. You would have been thrilled to have him in your, in your neighborhood. You would have been thrilled to have him in your RV park. Well, the enemy of this world, when Satan sees people like that, this is not on my watch. He's going to want after them. And he came after Job. Lost his family, lost his business, loses his health. But to add insult to injury, <laughs> he left him his jealous friends. Bildad, Elphaz, and Zophar. They came to him one day, and they got up in his business and said, Brother, have you ever heard of the sowing and reaping principle? You're living it. 
You're reaping what you've been sowing, my friend. And maybe none of us saw it, but you were sowing it. You ever heard of bad karma, Job? You're living it. You're getting back what you've been putting in somewhere. So it's time for you to just fess up, all right, and just come clean with this. And maybe, just maybe, God will forgive you and your life will get back to, to blessing. That doesn't even begin to come close to the negative barrage that, that those three men poured out on this poor man who had lost everything. So I love the way Job responds in Job 16.2. He says, I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. <laughs> Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? Anybody ever had one of your friends whose face is popping up right now that you'd want to say that to? I have. Job goes on. He says, I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and I could shake my head at you. But if it were up to me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. I pray that when you leave here today that those are the words that you take with you. If it were up to me, I'd encourage you. You see, I know in every single one of us is this quiet, secret battle that's going on that nobody sees, and you need that. The wise Solomon says this is as bold and as bodacious a statement as I think there is in the scriptures. Life and death are in the tongue. That little five, six, seven-inch thing in your mouth right now, mine's dry, always is when I'm up here. Hard to believe the power that's in that little thing. Life and death, God says, are in your tongue. James' brother Jesus is going to underscore that and maybe exclamate it when he says this. Those of you who consider yourselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on your tongues, you deceive yourselves, and your religion's worthless. Not a little off, not a little weak, worthless. He's going to go on later in his letter to some churches he loves. He's going to say, let me tell you about three small things, kind of like your tongue, a bit for a horse, a rudder, for a ship, and a small spark in this relationship to a fire. All of those things are small, but he's going to show them the huge impact, the amazing, stunning, sometimes deathly impact they can have on a human being's life. Here's what he says. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth, in much the same way, may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark. Remember to set a forest fire ablaze. A careless word, a wrongly placed word out of the mouth can do that. By your speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, Smoke right from the pit of hell. <laughs> a little bold, isn't it? A little bodacious about these things that we just throw around like air around us. It sounds pretty significant, doesn't it? These words, these things that we can say and their impact on other people's lives, it's because they are. 
hugely significant. I just want to confess this morning, I've been a verbal arsonist. I have. I've torched my wife, I've torched my kids, I've torched my friends, my co-workers, I've torched my enemies. I've even on occasion torched God with the things that I've said. Yes, I have done some things I wish I could have undone, but I want to tell you a far longer list of destruction is made up of the things that I wish I could have left unsaid. So friend, please, if you're honestly looking <laughs> next to change your life, here would be a great place to start. Even science backs up the significance of our words. Brian Wozniak, we saw this in the Global Leadership Summit just a couple of days ago. He's a social scientist, and he brought a group of participants together in his lab, and he turned off all the lights, and he blindfolded everybody, and he gave everybody a cup of strawberry yogurt. He told all the participants, all the participants, I need you to do just one thing, just rate on a scale from 1 to 10 the strawberryness of this yogurt. 59% of the participants rated the yogurt as having a nice strawberry flavor. The catch was the yogurt was chocolate. And somebody, somebody may be thinking, okay, I don't have a refined palate, but I think I might be able to tell the difference between chocolate and strawberry. Really? Depends on the circumstances. What this study showed, it depends on the words surrounding those circumstances. 59% tasted strawberry yogurt and said it was chocolate because someone led them with their words to believe that that's what they were eating. I'm going to summarize it this way, the whole lesson in just one line. I think words hurt people or words help people. And I hope you think that way too. Whatever's coming out of your mouth is either building somebody up or it's tearing them down. Very rarely are they neutral. And I say that because when it comes to our influence in the world, when it comes to impacting our friends and our co-workers for Christ, what comes out of my mouth is such a huge influence. So I want my words to build your faith. I, I want them to strengthen your confidence. I, I want for you to know that God's for you. Because if it were up to me, I want to encourage you. Because I realize that there are these secret battles, these hidden battles, every single one of you are facing. Whether we know about it or not, you're facing them. And I, I just want you to be encouraged. Maybe that's what the Hebrew writer was thinking when he wrote to a group of Jesus followers when he writes these words in Hebrews 3.13. <laughs> you encourage each other daily as long as it's called, how long, when? Today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you put it on the calendar, think about it. No, today. As long as it's called today, why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You mean my encouragement and someone else's life could help them sin less? Not be sinless, but sin less? That's exactly what the word's saying. What does sin do? It distracts. It destroys. Sin tears down. Sin isolates. Sin tries to convince you, you don't have enough of what you have, what you need. Here, get you some of this. Help yourself to some of that. Sin tells you you can't be happy without and fills in the blank. And sin says you don't matter. 
And God's trying to say encouragement can counter all of that. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I face discouragement almost every day. I don't need your pity. I don't. I just need your encouragement. I do. I can say that here without worrying about being judged because so do you. Anybody here been over-encouraged this week? Nobody has ever raised their hand, and I know I've asked that in other places around Texas that I've been invited to speak, and no one's ever said, yeah, man, I've been over-encouraged. I wish they'd just shut up with all the positive stuff they've been pouring into my life. No. I, I, it always makes me smile when someone walks up to me and says, no, I don't want to give you the big head. <laughs> now, if that has to do with arrogance, there's nothing that you can say to make me more arrogant. I'm arrogant enough for everybody. But encourage me? Yes. And you too. Because I realize that every single one of you has this battle going on within you that maybe we don't see, but you're fighting every single day. I remember what Paul said. There is something powerful about our minds to be able to take any thought that comes into them captive. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. So we have the power to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We can take captive every thought and we can make it obedient to Christ. Now why would anybody need to do that? Because sometimes you're not around when I need you to be there to encourage me. Even when you're not there, there can be an encouraging word in me that helps me get through whatever I'm having to face for the moment. So don't think that, oh, well, I just don't have anybody in my life who can encourage me. No, you're here enough this morning, present enough, maybe not all the time, but you're here present enough in this moment to hear, God can encourage you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path, even when it's dark. We sang that a few moments ago, and it's true. His word in you can provide you with everything that you need in a moment if you'll just welcome it to speak to you. A couple of weeks back when we looked at our anxiety series, we talked about a metaphor that just has stayed with me maybe more so than any other metaphor that I've ever had when it comes to thoughts in my mind. I get deluged with discouragement every single... Jimmy, this, this isn't enough. You, you think you're studied enough for this? No. Subpar. Incomplete. No way it's going to matter anyway. Why waste your time? You're a waste. I mean, I hear all those kind of thoughts all the time. And I, I was reminded this week, you don't have to let those thoughts... You may not be able to prevent them from coming in, but you don't have to let them land. You get to choose your air traffic controller, Jim. You can just let those things just fly on by. And you can let land the truths that have been placed deeper than your heart that if God's for me, who could be against me? That I can do all things through this Christ who strengthens me. That he will never leave me or forsake me. Those truths are right there if you'll just stop for a moment and welcome them to come. I'm going to remind you that 2 Corinthians 10.5 is not just something that Paul could do. It's something that you can do. You can take every thought captive. You can be air traffic control and keep that airport clear of the trash Satan wants to dump on you. And the shame and the guilt that comes with those thoughts.
You need a picture of what that looks like in 1 Samuel chapter 30, King David. <laughs> One of the greatest known kings, if not the greatest, of all of Israel's kings. This valiant warrior, this great passionate worshiper of God gets back from battle. And they arrive in his hometown of Ziglag, and the enemy has burned the entire city to the ground. And every family member, both of himself and his army, is gone, kidnapped. Maybe you had a rough day this week. (laughs) Doubt if it was like that. Imagine that. And these days, they didn't shuffle people around in vehicles. They had to walk wherever they were going to do battle, do battle hand-to-hand, face-to-face. Probably no showers in the battlefield. Walk all the way back, and you get back, and the, and the house that you own is gone. And the, and the family that lived in that house is gone. Now, what do you think was being said amongst the men? You may have an idea about that. Whoever's in charge usually is at fault, right? They were going to stone David because of this is his fault. David says as much. Shouting and wailing going on. First Samuel 30 verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his son or daughters. You understand that? But I've underscored these words. I've, I've I put them in color, but David found strength in the Lord is God. He found strength in the midst of that in the Lord is God. Let me ask you. How have you been talking to yourself lately? That that word there, uh, found strength in the Lord his God, it's actually a word, it's a Hebrew word for talking to himself. David talked himself up. Actually, the word is shizak. Just to make sure I see some of you are starting to nod off, so say it with me and wake up. Shizak. All right, one more time. Shizak. It means to talk to yourself, to encourage yourself, the old King James Version would say. Go next slide. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Why is that so significant? Because sometimes we're not around when that can take place. And so I don't want you to be hopeless, even though you hear, I hope you hear this word, that our words can have power to encourage someone off the cliff of some version of their life. Your words do. But what if nobody else is around? You can still encourage yourself in the Lord. You can still find strength in the Lord. It's not easy, but it's possible. Very, very possible. But I can be that person who wants to encourage you because I know in every single one of you, you're facing some struggles in your life that maybe no one knows about. I faced one. I was in Van, Texas. It was uh, my only stint in youth ministry. I spent a summer there. And it was the very last Sunday that I was going to be a part of that congregation. And so they invited me to preach. And so I preached a, a message from uh, Solomon. I, I, I felt like it had been a, a, a fruitful summer. Had a great kind of a going away party. Got to hear a lot of encouraging things from people. Uh, so I got up that Sunday morning and, and I, 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 I preached my heart out. As best as I could preach a sermon at that age. 
And um, when it was done, this fellow came up to me and said, I guess you know that your entire summer went down the tubes with that sermon. You know, I've had bad comments about things that I've said in a sermon, but nothing like that. Not exaggerated. In the middle of the church, I'm standing, I'm hearing people come, oh, that was just great, thank you. We're so glad to have had you this summer. And then he says, I guess you just know that your, ser- your summer went down the tubes with that sermon. So, well, what did you preach for? <laughs> I talked about Solomon. I talked about him trying the five L's, learning, laughter, lust, leisure, and liquor. And realizing that life wasn't in any of those things, that life was in fearing God and keeping his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, I know where I got in trouble, I think. I do now, at least, but I didn't know then. Where I got in trouble is when I got to lust. And I was talking, I looked over at our youth group, kind of sitting a little section over to the left over here, and I turned and said, you know, there's a difference between lust and love. And I said, and that's how it's lived out in the sexual relationships in our community right now. God designed sex, I told them, to be amazingly enjoyed and to be an amazing blessing. Um, And it can be inside the realm of marriage. But I said, lust, however, you can enjoy sex outside of that, but it can be devastating out here. Yeah, something along those lines. And and probably shortly after that, I said, you know, by God's grace and mercy, he's helped me remain a virgin up to this point in my life. And I said, uh, in a couple of weeks, I said, I'm going to be married to my wife, Gail, and I'm going to get a chance to taste that amazing gift. It was something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember that's what he was leading. Matter of fact, he said, you just said to the whole church, and I asked, I said, well, what part of the sermon did you have a problem with? He said, you just told the whole church you couldn't wait to have sex with your wife. Now, it was true, but I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Nothing like that. But that's what he heard. Enough to want to come up to another human being and say, everything that you've done this summer has just been flushed down the tubes with that? Wow. I had no idea how I was responding to that until a brother came up and whispered in my ear, unclench your fists. My face had been turning red, and I guess I was clenching my fist because they kind of led me out and semi-carried me out of that moment and out outside. This is a true story, nothing exaggerated, and said, Jimmy, that may be his opinion, but it's not the majority opinion of what happened this summer. I'm over that, okay? I've forgiven that brother a long time ago, but you know what? That's, That's a scar in my life. It just is. It's a helpful scar because it's a great illustration about the power of words to be hurtful in someone else's life. Be careful what you say. Here's one for helpful. This came on a day in my life that um, I don't really remember all that was going on in it, but what, what was said, I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you where I was standing. I can tell you what the temperature was. I can tell you what the month was because my dad had called. And he could barely speak. And he said, I've called to apologize. I said, Dad, what's wrong? He said, I just didn't know. Didn't know what? (laughs) He said, I just didn't know. He said, I went to a retreat this weekend with a church in San Antonio called the Oak Hills Church. And this guy by the name of Max Lucado was speaking. 
just didn't know I was loved like this. I, I read the Bible. I, I, I know Jesus' stories, but I didn't know he loved me like this. And he said, you've been trying for years <laughs> to help me understand. And he said, I didn't get it, but I get it. And I gave my life to him this weekend. And I said, I'm just calling to say I'm sorry that y'all didn't get the benefit of being raised with this kind of love in our home. And I've called to say, I know you've been the spiritual leader of our house for the last 15 years, and I am not asking to take your place, but I am asking this. Could I come alongside and help? Could I help? Those were helpful words. Those are words that brought healing in my life. And we've talked a lot since then, and my dad's no longer with me, but I'll tell you what, those words are with me. Because they are a bright spot in my life that Satan can never take away. Words can help, or words can heal. And you get to be in charge of so much of the words that you allow into your life. Um... Let me go back to the self-talk thing for just a second. If I said to you some of the things you say to yourselves over and over every single week, you'd slap me. You would. You'd slap me. You don't have to settle for that. Are you hearing me this morning? You don't have to settle for that. Words matter. Even the words that you tell yourself, they matter. So strengthen yourself in the Lord, church. You get in his word and allow his words to be in you, okay? Because you're going to need it in this battle. The battle's not going away. Whether we see them or ever hear them or not, they're not going away. You need that. And I want to be that one that's there for you to encourage you and build you up and let you know God's for you and that nothing that the enemy brings against you can stand if you're, withstand, if you're standing with God. I know what some of you are thinking, Jimmy, I'm just not very gifted at being able to do this. It's not. Um, you weren't gifted at walking either when you were six months old. You weren't. When do you start walking? Nine months? A year? About then? Even when you tried, you, you, you fell and you, and you got back up and, and you fell. And it, I mean, you know, before long, you were kind of walking like drunk. Frankenstein, you know, and just, but finally you got there, and then you were gliding and moving, and you were dabbing, and whatever you can do now, okay? But it took some time to get there. How, but how do you do that? Well, here, let me give you one just simple principle. If you think something positive about somebody else, tell them right then. Get out that thing that's, that's, Instant, and you text them, or you call them. Now, you can still use those for phone calls. Did you know that? They really do work for that. You can call them. You can get them a piece of paper and write them, and they will, when they receive that in the mailbox, go, oh, my goodness, it's not a bill. It looks like it's written from somebody else. You can let them know. And so many of you have done that for me. I've got a drawer full in there of your encouragement over the years to me. Thank you. Let me just say this. I've needed it. And so do you. 
And if you don't have a drawer like that, we got to be a better church. We do. This, this coming out of COVID, what's this church going to look like? Here's one thing that I pray. We are the most encouraging church on the planet. Who every time we think of something positive, we don't rob Freya of a blessing, of something that's unexpressed to her. I don't just think it, I share it with her. I love that lady. I don't tell her enough. She's a light. I love Steve Bailey. You ask this guy to do anything, he's there tomorrow or maybe that afternoon if Renee didn't have too much room to do. He's just there. I love Craig Seebeck. I, I love all you guys and, and gals in here who are, who are in the midst of this COVID. You know, you don't want to wear a mask, but you're wearing a mask because you want to make sure that Peggy Wireman can be here who's not coming if people aren't wearing masks. Thank you, all of you for trying to love me and my family. And you know what? Satan's right there to try to steal all that every time that you share it. Because we are just wired to hang on to the negative. Scientists prove this. That, that it takes 15 seconds for something positive to register in you at all. For you to focus and tune into it. But it takes that long for a negative to stay with you. It just does. You've experienced that. I can hear ten things positive about today's message and somebody come up to me one and say something about it going too long or whatever, I don't know, and then flush, it just all goes out. Ten to one, and it's still hard for me to hang on to the positive. So I'm a lot like you. And so that's why we've got to be about encouraging each other as long as it is today. Because it matters. Life and death are in the tongue. And I get to decide what comes out. Paul sat across the table from me a couple of weeks ago. And his new wife, Michelle, told us how she had been able to be an influence in her son's life when no one else could. He had gotten into drugs in his early teens and had gone through five rehabs, thousands upon thousands of dollars, Thousands of sleepless nights it felt, Michelle said, and nothing was helping him until Paul Mosley came into his life. He said he's been sober now for a year. He's married. He has a boy of his own. All because of Paul's encouraging words. Encouragement is the gift that keeps on giving. If it were up to me, I'd be full of encouragement. I would encourage you because I know every single one of you is fighting battles that we can't see, and you need it. Today, as long as it's called today, let's encourage each other, okay? Father in heaven, we come to you grateful that you have blessed us with such an encouraging word. Jesus. Jesus. Such love. Such humility. Such giving. Such strength. Such power attached to that word. But you attach it to a name. You give him a name, Jesus. 
And we come in that powerful name. The one who's done more than just encouraged us. He died for us. And we say thank you. And because of that incredible gift, we, we want to be better gift bearers, gift givers. We want to believe. Father, I know your word says that life and death are in the tongue, but we don't believe that. We don't. So we say and we don't say things on a regular basis that could matter so much. So please, would you help us, first of all, would you put a guard over our lips? Would you put a filter over what we say? Would you nudge us in the spirit to take some thoughts captive before we ever, ever speak them out of our mouths and hurt someone, maybe in an irreparable way? Would you, would you be that fountain of living water if in any other place to this mouth of ours? And would you allow it to flow out of us, these encouraging, upbuilding, life-giving things? We need your help. We can't do this on our own. And so we're coming to you this morning and we're saying, enough already. Enough already of, of not really considering the importance of our words. Enough already of asking you to give us the words of life. We know you can. And we're just humbly saying we've, we've been pitiful at it in so many ways. Forgive us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses even even the most horrific of words that we've spoken. But we're asking, would you please help us to be, as we come out of this COVID, the most encouraging church on the planet, not just in Kerrville, on the planet. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear today and a spirit ready to humble itself to your spirit so that you could live through us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, let's go to the table.